Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Amy Marks, Coors, Chris Ranji on KMOX. Good morning. Welcome into Wednesday. We are with you until 1 o'clock today. Then it is the crossover hour with the Dave Glover Show, Amy and me. Of course, the phone line is open, as always, to text or to call 314-436-7900. We've got our voicemail line. It's just ours. It belongs to Amy and me Does and it? nobody else. I know when you call it, it says... Leave a voicemail for Kevin. No, there's no Kevin. Does it say that? It still? says for Chris, Amy, and Kevin. Kevin can't, Kevin has no access. No to access. That he does voicemail. not. So this. So when you when you call it and it says Kevin, yeah. Amy, what's who's this? Kevin? Forget about Kevin. Nobody cares about Kevin. It's about Amy and me. That's right. If you want to leave us a voicemail whenever you want to. 314-944-1120. We're on social media. All the handles are the same at Chris Amy KMOX. Time now for the top of the order. The top three stories everybody will be talking about. Well, the steel mill in Granite City is getting closer to a complete shutdown, and it will be an indefinite shutdown. That is what we hear. The mayor of Granite City, Mike Parkinson, will be joining us in about 10 minutes to discuss. And Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced yesterday that he would be giving an address this morning about the rise in anti-Semitism, and he did give that speech this morning, and we have got notes from that. And an interesting response from Missouri Governor Mike Parson on the potential of Palestinians moving to the St. Louis area and whether or not they would be welcome um, after all of this has happened with Israel and Hamas. We will discuss that as well coming up on the show today. So you did mention that uh, Chuck Schumer Mm -hmm. um, addressed made this address and he announced it yesterday as if he was going to make a major address on anti-Semitism. He felt like the highest ranking Jewish member of the Senate. He felt like it was his duty to do so. And so on the Senate floor today, he did speak and haven't heard all of it. I have seen excerpts um, as of now. I've seen some written about it, but here's just a portion of the speech that he gave today. And it seemed to be that he is directing a a good part of this speech toward protesters who have been either in favor of Hamas or appear to be in favor of Hamas. And he says this, while many protesters no doubt view their actions as a compassionate expression of solidarity with the Palestinian people, for many Jewish Americans, we feel in too many instances 
Some of the most extreme rhetoric gives license to darker ideas that have always lurked below the surface of every question involving the Jewish people. Anti-Semites have always trafficked in coded language and action to define Jewish people is unworthy of the rights and privileges afforded to other groups. I believe there are plenty of people who chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, not because they hate Jewish people, but because they support a better future for Palestinians. But there is no question Hamas and other terrorist organizations have used this slogan to represent their intention to eliminate Jewish people, not only from Israel, but from every corner of the earth. So when we talked about this over the last several weeks, I do think there is a large, and it doesn't excuse them. It doesn't excuse people. Ignorance is not a good, look, if you get pulled over and you didn't know the law and you broke the law while you were driving, you didn't know that you couldn't turn right on red, it is not a good enough excuse to tell the cop who's pulled you over, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Ignorance is not a good enough excuse. And I do believe that there are a lot of pro-Palestinian protesters that we have seen over the weeks whose intentions are good and pure, but who just are ignorant to history and ignorant to coded language. Maybe some aren't. Maybe some know exactly what they are saying. But I would bet that especially with younger people who aren't really students of history and are just now learning about this conflict, maybe they've kind of heard about it but not really paid close attention, I bet they don't know. But here's what I'm going to say. Ignorance is not good enough. It's not a good enough excuse for you. You need to know what these words mean. Yes, and I think that's where we differ. I'm sure there are some who fall into that category. I think I'm, a lot do. I'm yeah, and that's where we disagree. I'm I'm much There's no way to put a percentage on it, but I think a lot really don't know what a lot of this means. Yeah, and just from my research and from what I've looked at, what I've seen Same here. Uh, interviews that I've read. I know we have audio from the Oakland City Council where the Oakland City Council had a resolution and there was one line condemning Hamas. Uh, just Hamas, condemning Hamas and the atrocities on October 7th. And it did not go over. People uh, took to the podium over and over and over again to explicitly defend Hamas. And so I would say, while uh, I, it's good that you're giving a lot of protesters the benefit of a doubt, I just am not because we've seen a rise in anti-Semitism. We've seen the conflation of Israeli policies with Jewish organizations in the United States so that you'll have a university uh, uh, Jewish chapter or group or building for Jewish students be uh, completely vandalized. And they have nothing to do with what's going on in Israel. And so as we see just any excuse for really hate spewed towards the Jewish people. I just don't give a lot of people the benefit of the doubt. I think there are people who truly believe this is a story of a good guy and a bad guy. And the bad guy is Israel. The bad guy are specifically the Jewish people in Israel. And everything is painted in that light so that even the actions of Hamas, the atrocities committed, um, aren't atrocities. They're It's a resistance. And I do think there are a lot of people who truly believe that. And that's why I have been so 
so discouraged and disheartened because I want to give people the benefit of a doubt and hope that they're ignorant when really I think there's a lot more hate out there. I'm sure there is. There's anti-Semitic hate that has existed on the hard right for a very long time in this country. And I, I don't doubt that it exists on the left to an extent. I don't doubt there are people who just hate Jewish people who are flat out anti-Semitic. I don't doubt that. I just think there is a there's a not insignificant number of people who really just don't know what the hell they're talking about. And I think that does matter. And I think there are people who, like me, this is where I stand on this and I've been clear about it. I you don't have to pick sides here. You you don't have to pick a side between Palestinian people and Jewish people. All of them deserve our protection and respect. They deserve to exist without being uh, uh, threatened with physical violence or um, uh, any sort of like like what you're talking about, vandalism. They deserve to live free of those things. The, the three Palestinian guys who were college kids in Vermont who just got shot by their, their white neighbor, uh, or not their neighbor, but they were walking down the street and came out of the house and shot all three of them. He almost killed them. So that stuff shouldn't exist. Anti-Semitism should not exist. I just don't think there are sides here. See, you, you can be anti-Israeli government and anti-Hamas. That is fine. And, and you probably should be in some case, certainly with Hamas. Hamas, has, they deserve no respect whatsoever. But I, but I think that's, that's the issue here is that the sides are not Israel and the Palestinian people. The sides are Israel and Hamas. And Hamas started this war. And Hamas oppresses the Palestinian people. And Hamas is hurting them and taking their water and their electricity and their fuel and putting them in harm's way. So we do pick sides when it's Israel versus Hamas, which is what the conflict is. What is so awful is that when you have a terrorist organization with no respect for human life, they put innocent Palestinians and harm's way. We will talk to Mayor Mike Parkinson of Granite City as we got more bad news about U.S. Steel and its place in that city. The mayor will join us when we come back next on KMOX. It's Chris and Amy on KMOX. As I mentioned right before we went to break, uh, Granite City Steel, well, U.S. Steel for a long time. We've just called it Granite City Steel. We had the blast furnace a few months ago of the two remaining. Uh, one of them was idled. And we get word yesterday that the last one is going to be idled, which is not good news for the town of Granite City. What it means moving forward, we are now joined by Mike Parkinson, mayor of Granite City on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Mike, we appreciate your time today. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, as well as can be expected, guys, and I appreciate you taking time to talk to me today. So there is confusion. It's a, a thousand people who are in jeopardy of losing their jobs altogether. What exactly do you know right now? Well, they were sent. They were sent. Uh, they sent a thousand uh, Warren Act notifications to um, the employees over there. Um, right now, it doesn't mean that a thousand are going to be laid off. The 400 that were originally, the three 300 plus that were originally laid off, plus um, looking at uh, you know approximately 200 more, somewhere in the range of 600 is is the likely number. Um, you know, just devastating news. I, I got the call yesterday from their um, U.S. Steel's Director of Government Affairs, and uh, A and B Blast Furnace both will be completely shut down. Um, you know, and then. The, the likelihood of those ever firing back up are just not good at all. Um, they're still in talks with, um, you know, trying to sell the plant. 
Um, and they're also still in talks with, with the company across the street, um, trying to get them to, to purchase that part, that portion of it and, and, and make the pellets for the, um, you know, the pig iron. So, I mean, there is some, still some hope on that end of it. Um, but, but, you know, life as we know it here is, is production of steel will, will cease forever. And you had mentioned that both A and B furnaces would be shut down. B had already been idled, I believe. And just can you explain the difference between what it means when a furnace is idled versus when it is shut down? Yeah, so, so my understanding of that is that when it is completely shut down, it all has to be rebuilt in order to be fired back up again, which is not likely um, for, to happen. Um, you know, if, if it's converted to an electric arc oven, that might be a different thing. But, um, you know, it, it pretty much means the end of these two ovens as we know them uh, for producing steel here in Granite City. Um, you know, I, my, my phone yesterday started blowing up pretty early. Um, you know, I... I, I spoke to many leaders yesterday we we do have some some good things that we are working on um you know to try to try to find employment for for these these folks that you know are just going to be devastated at the worst possible time of the year if there ever is any good time but um you know amy elick here and nikki Budzinski and jay hoffman and governor pritzker i talked to him this morning and um we we've got a plan uh, through swick i met with garrett horner who sits on the board of directors for swick last night uh, Jay Hoffman and I sat down with him to do a um, you know a redevelopment plan to to try to get them into SWIC and get some some retraining, and then um, we're, we're hoping to get with an investor today uh, to start a new manufacturing plant here in Granite and get these guys retrained and and make them the priority uh, for these new jobs that that we're hoping to put in a new manufacturing plant that that uh, we're hoping to break ground on real soon. Uh, Governor Pritzker called me this morning directly and pledged his support to that as well. So. Uh, I think we're going to get a lot of bipartisan support to try to get some retraining for these folks and, and try to find new employment for them quickly. Granite City Mayor Mike Parkinson visiting with us on KMOX. We know that a couple of months ago when that one uh, blast furnace was idled, the excuse given was, well, the auto worker strike, you know, we, we have to, which we all knew was nonsense. Um, and that strike is, you know, basically over. So have, what sort of communication have you personally had with U.S. Steel and what have they told you? Well, you know, that's the one conversation I've had with them was yesterday. And, and I spoke to, like I said, to their director of government affairs. And, um, you know, I told them that um, I, I no longer have a very good working relationship with you because I feel like you've lied to everybody here. Um, and, I, and I feel that's exactly what they did, that they used uh, that strike as a, as a catalyst to not follow the Warren Act. And, you know, now they're, um, you know, they're issuing these thousand notices to try to cover their their rear ends on that um you know because clearly the government is looking at it and, and making sure that they're following the law um but you know again i, I know governor pritzker and, and andy menard here in illinois sat down and talked to them yesterday and, and and gave them kind of the same sentiment that i gave them that um we don't think they're they're doing business very well and we think they're treating their employees very poorly and um you know that, that it's kind of a disgrace what is the legal recourse, if any? Well, you know, it, it's it's hard. I, I you know, I, I don't know what the government can do. I, you know, if they if they're not following it, but my my understanding is now that they've issued these thousand notices that they've kind of got themselves in the position of 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 good graces with it. Um, but that remains to be seen. So, um, but I'll be following that pretty closely because you know, as I said, um, you know, I, I had I had talks with. 
um, the local leader of U.S. Steel, you know, a good Granite City guy, and I, I respect him greatly. But I, I told him yesterday, I said, listen, I, you know, the plant looks terrible, and, and you're laying off 200 more workers that could be addressing some of the just facelift things that need to be going on there. You drive by the, the plant on 20th Street, and it, it already looks like a ghost town. And I, I told him, I said, I am not the kind of mayor that's going to let you sit here and turn this into a, a decaying property like we saw in Pittsburgh. That's not going to happen in Granite City. And I said, I am that guy that will see see it to the end to make sure that this is either torn down, if they're not going to sell it, utilize it, it's not going to sit here and decay. Um, it, it'll need to be turned back into brownfields so we can put some other type of industry on top of it if they're not going to, to, to utilize these facilities anymore. Uh, and I was very stern with them and told them that, you know, I, I don't have any love loss anymore. We're not partners anymore. You, you, you have cross that line with the way you've done business and, and the way you're treating your employees. So, you know, I, I'm very hopeful that they will still sell this plant and, um, you know, put some of these workers you know, back to work with, with a better company. Uh, Mayor, can you kind of paint a picture for the listeners of what the mill means to the city, whether that means how many of the workers live in Granite City, how many workers are coming into the city, eating, shopping, just what does the mill uh is a catalyst for in Granite City? Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to put a number on that. You know, there's, there's, you know, a lot of all these workers come here every day. Um, we believe the number that live in the 62040 is right around 300. The rest live in the, you know, the, the, the suburbs around um, the metro. Um, but, you know, they stop and get gas. They stop for a beer. They stop for a burger. You know, they park grill, Jerry's Cafeteria. Um, you know, they, they pick up meals from these places. You know, local establishments are going to suffer, um, you know, without that workforce needing to be fed every day or needing their gas tanks filled and um, the grocery stores where they stop on their way home and spend money. Um, you know, that those are the things that are really going to take a hit. And, and you know, it, time will tell. Uh, Mike Parkinson, mayor of Granite City, is with us. And so the, the, there might be people listening that um, are affected either directly or indirectly, wondering what they can do or what comes next. What what should what do you want to tell those folks? Well, they need to stick close to their union and make sure that they're getting, um, you know, all their benefits through the through the union and and the, you know, the, the pay that they're, they're they're deserving for their time that they've they've spent working hard and, and you know, um, definitely look at the unemployment, but, but know that as we sit here today, um, I, I've been on the phone all morning from, from the governor to Jay Hoffman to, to all of our, our, our state legislators and, and, and um, you know, Nikki Budzinski's office, and we are in the process of, of trying to find new jobs and new training for these folks and working with the local college to try to get that done and get it done quickly and hopefully get these people back to work soon. Um, you know, they, they need to know that they – they have a mayor here that's from here that cares about this and that is going to do everything he can, um, you know, to fight U.S. Steel, to, to get him to do what's right. And, and again, to look for new new opportunities here for Granite City. And, and understand this, that, you know, we're, we're in a process here of, of trying to come um, out from the shadow of just being a steel town anyway. Yep. We are looking for new development. We are developing Route 3 right now. We finally got... Um, you know, the, the, the family that's owned all the land along Route 3 to, to, to offer it up for sale. So we are looking for new industry and we have incentives and we have programs here. So, you know, any, any listener out there that's looking for land and, and business opportunities, you know, uh, come see me. We're, we're open and willing to work with, with companies and, um, 
you know, willing to, to work deals to get manufacturing jobs here or, or any any other types of opportunities of people that, that are looking at a place to build their, their American dream and put people to work. Mayor Parkinson, thank you for as busy as it's been for you taking time out to talk with us. You know I care, so uh, let I, me I know, know what, you do. what we can do. Say hello to your family for me. I will. Thank you. Mike Parkinson, mayor of Granite City, visiting with us here on KMOX. It's Amy Marks Kors. I'm Chris Ranji, journalist out of Jerusalem. will be joining us in a moment when we come back. Marty Friedman is next on KMOX. Chris and Amy on KMOX. It is good to have you with us this morning, and we certainly appreciate you listening on the Odyssey app or KMOX.com, 98.7 FM, uh, 1120 AM, of course. We go back to the Quiver River Electric guest line this morning. Journalist and author Mati Friedman. Uh, Friedman is uh, covering the conflict that is happening from Jerusalem right now. And the journalist and author is with us on KMOX. Mati, we appreciate your time. Thank you for giving us time today. Thank you so much for having me. So first, for people who are not aware of the perspective that you are coming from and the work that you are doing right now, for the listener, explain to them exactly the way you see things happening there. Sure. I mean, we're approaching the two-month mark of a really grim and depressing war that began on October 7th with an attack by by Hamas and a, a massacre of civilians. One of the darkest moments, I think, in Israel's history, certainly the darkest moment that I've seen in about 30 years of living and, and reporting in this country. And the, the attack of October 7th triggered a war that's unfolding as we speak in, in Gaza. There are about 200 uh, Israeli hostages who remain in Gaza. We've seen several dozen released as part of a, a temporary ceasefire over the past couple of days. But the war does not seem to be over. And um, I guess uh, you know, I'd love to be a bit more cheerful. But uh, but I, I guess you didn't invite me to speak about cheerful matters. This is a very dark moment for us, and we're not sure exactly what the next weeks or months hold. Monty, back in 2014, you wrote a story, What the Media Gets Wrong About Israel, and it documents your time, your experiences and observation working for the Associated Press, looking at the coverage coming out of Gaza and Israel. And right now, of course, we talk about the fog of war, the confusion of the moment, but that confusion has been compounded by information that hasn't gotten out or the way it gets out over the past decade, really. Uh, can you explain uh, your time in the Associated Press and what you observed about how uh, journalism operates uh, in that area? So I was an AP correspondent based in Jerusalem between 2006 and the very end of 2011. And I was a reporter in the field and I was also an editor on the desk in Jerusalem. I just want to make clear that I'm not there now. So I'm not speaking with you know, immediate knowledge of how the international press is covering the events now, but I do have a kind of a broad sense of how it works as an insider for, for quite a while. And I think that often the media makes things harder to understand. And it does this for, for several reasons. One is quite simply the desire for an easily comprehensible story. So sometimes what we do as reporters is we take very complex events and we boil them down to something very simple because we want readers in you know Toronto, which is where I'm from, or in St. Louis to be able to understand 
highly complex events that we're that we're covering. And what that often leads to is an oversimplification so grave that the actual events become incomprehensible. Another thing that happens is that uh, American reporters will read American politics into events abroad and will kind of imagine that foreign countries correspond to American ideas about about politics, about society. I think a good example of that was the Iraq invasion when, you know, I'm, I'm 46, so I'm of an age where that was really one of the central events. And, and, and Americans really imagined that Iraq was a country that could be like America if only the dictator in Iraq was removed. And of course, that was a misunderstanding of Iraq. And I think journalists played a role in generating that misunderstanding, which of course led to tragic consequences, not just for hundreds of thousands of Iraqis who died as a result of the invasion, but also for about 4,500 American soldiers who died in the in that war. So I think it's very important to understand foreign societies on their own terms and, and make sure that we're really reading reality and not imagining the reality that we that we want to see. Just br very briefly, I also saw that many reporters had become something much closer to activists than journalists. And many of my colleagues were not primarily interested in explaining a complicated situation to readers who were very far away. They were actually something much closer to activists who were fighting for justice or fighting for their idea of justice by using coverage. And I think we've seen that in many stories, not just in the Israel story, but here it was definitely playing out in the way we covered the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the Israeli-Arab conflict, Israel's broader problems with, uh, with the Middle East and the Islamic world, and particularly the dilemma in Gaza, which really started to unfold when I was at the AP. Um, in around 2008, we see the first really bad round of violence after Hamas took over Gaza. And there are many ways in which the press has malfunctioned and has made it, I think, much harder for an American readership or uh, you know broader Western readership to actually understand the complexities of um of, of Israel's position in, in the Middle East. And I could go on about this, uh, I mean, for several hours, but I imagine that your listeners don't have endless patience. So I'll let you ask oh, another question. They've got so much patience. You have, <laughs> we have no idea. Um, Mati Friedman, a journalist and author, is with us. And I, I, I think people get wrong the idea of objectivity in reporting, that they think it has to be both sides. Everything has to be equal time to each side, and then you... You know, you, the listener, or you, the reader, need to decide what what's what's real. Um, is that is that idea? Is that conflict? Is it worse in a situation like this? Because I, it seems to me that I mean, we talk about American politics all the time and how that is that is prevalent now in our politics and has been. Is it happening now with this event uh, in in Israel? I think so. I mean, it's a great question. To what extent? Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast podcast on your favorite podcast app. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies and the rankings of beach style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The journalist has to be objective. I think the journalist doesn't have to be 
equal in, you know, you don't have to give equal time and um, equal, you know, listening to every position, but you do have to make clear to the reader the motivations of all of the actors driving a given event. And, um, and I think that hasn't been done to a sufficient extent in, in this story. I don't think, for example, that the average American news consumer understands what Hamas is or what their ideology is. Um, Hamas has a, a founding charter, which you can actually find online, which not only declares that Israel is illegitimate, it must be destroyed, but that Jews um, are responsible for the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution and for engineering both world wars. So we're talking about an organization that is not functioning in the kind of rational headspace where most, you know, Western uh, people are. Uh, the, the charter openly calls for the murder of Jews. And I think that this is something that that it's just very hard for you know normal Western people to accept, and it was certainly hard for me when I when I arrived here. So I think that when you cover a story like this, you really have to make clear what how the sides see it. And I think you can definitely make a case, you know, for the Palestinian side. This is a, a tragedy for people in Gaza. We're talking about a massive civilian catastrophe in Gaza, and it's utterly heartbreaking to see it. Um, for Israelis, this is an existential war. We can't leave Hamas in place, and there is no other way to fight an organization that is indistinguishable from a civilian population. And we're left with this kind of human tragedy where you can try to understand where both sides are, are coming from and not fall into the kind of dynamic of a children's story where there's a princess and a dragon. And I think often people want that clarity. They want to know who the good guy and the bad guy is, and they, they want to know, you know who is the princess in a given story and who is a dragon. And and often in, you know, in real events on planet Earth, there isn't a princess or a dragon, and we're left with this very human mess where the journalist's job is to really spell out the factors in a given situation and not necessarily to tell the reader who is who is right. And I think that journalists have often, and certainly in the past decade, fallen into the trap of thinking that they need to help the reader reach the correct political conclusion. And that's true not just in the Israel story, it's true in domestic politics in the United States. I mean, if you want a you know, more left-wing fantasy, you know where to find it. And if you want a more right-wing fantasy, you know, you know where to find that too. But there are fewer and fewer news outlets which will just tell you what is going on. And um, and I regret that change. I think that journalists, the job of journalists, our job is to try to explain, you know, to the extent possible with the flawed tools at our disposal, what is going on on planet Earth so that our listeners and our readers can make good decisions about how to live on planet Earth and who to vote for and, and how to behave as citizens in a democracy. And, and I'm afraid that we we fail at that too often. Uh, Amy and I, and you, you touched on something that Amy and I were, were just discussing uh, about 40 minutes ago. And it is the idea, my perception is that in particular in the West, there are a lot of people, especially younger people, that don't really understand. And there's a lot of ignorance of the history of, of the conflict, which has been ongoing, and what certain words mean and what certain phrases mean, more so than it is just straight up vitriol, even though that exists. How, how prevalent do you think that is? That just the, the sheer ignorance of people who don't really understand what is going on or what they're saying when they protest, as opposed to people who know exactly what they're saying when they protest. I agree with you 100 percent. I think there's a lot of ignorance and I, I don't you know, I don't really see a lot of malevolence. There is some of that as well, of course, unfortunately. But I, I see a lot of well-intentioned people who just don't have a, you know, a, a firm grasp on what's going on, which is fine, of course. You know, how on earth would someone in St. Louis have a firm grasp of the complexities of 
Middle East politics. I mean, I've been here for 30 years reporting the story and I barely have a grasp of the politics. So it's a lot to ask of, you know, some 20 year old or 30 year old or 60 year old in, in America or anywhere else to, to really understand what's going on here. But what, what we have here is a very unique mix of ignorance, which is again, fine. You can be ignorant about foreign countries. That's totally okay. I mean, I'm ignorant about lots of foreign countries, but you have a mix in the West of ignorance and very deep emotion. So you have, you know, people who at the same time know nothing about what's going on here, but are out on the street protesting about it. And that is very unique. So, you know, they're not, you're not going to see a lot of protests about the the plight of the Kurds in Eastern Turkey. You're not even going to see that many protests these days about Ukraine and Russia. There are, you know, dozens, probably hundreds of ethnic conflicts going on in the world. And most of them are of no interest to people in the United States. This one is different. So it's true that ignorance is is fine. I mean, I, I think it's totally fine not to know anything about foreign countries, but we do see something very unique here, which is that mix, that very dangerous mix of people who at the same time don't know anything and feel very strongly about it. And that's where we get into some trouble. Yeah, uh, Mati, yeah, I, I've been very discouraged by the protests that we're seeing, specifically protest language that uh, champions Hamas. And, and and that's why I've been so discouraged. And I could talk to you all day. I know we don't have a lot of time, but but speaking of Hamas and us over here not understanding the dynamics exactly of what's going on in Gaza, you have some very specific examples of working um, your time and, and knowing what journalists have to deal with in Gaza, which is run by Hamas, which means information, a lot of times information that gets out of Gaza has to first be cleared by Hamas. And how that the way that was handled, you took issue with. Can you just explain that so listeners kind of understand when they're reading a news story, perhaps what some of that has to go through? I think that's a very important question for journalists and for anyone consuming journalism. Press organizations often run into trouble when they try to report from repressive regimes. And it's not just Gaza. It could be Iran, it could be North Korea, and there are many other examples. When you report under a repressive regime, you have to make some kind of accommodation with the regime in order to function, in order to get access. You have to compromise because, you know, undemocratic governments are not going to let you run around freely reporting. There are certain things that you're not allowed to report. And of course, that's true in Gaza. Anyone operating inside Gaza is operating under the coverage rules established by Hamas. And I think it's also quite important to understand that the work of the international press in Gaza is done almost entirely by Palestinians who are from Gaza and who live under Hamas rule. So I'm not saying that they're not good journalists, not at all. I've worked with wonderful journalists from Gaza. I'm not saying that they're not good people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that people who live in Gaza under Hamas rule cannot cross Hamas. And there are very clear rules about what you can film and what you cannot film. There's a reason that we're hearing about a lot of civilian casualties and not about military casualties. Israel is attacking Hamas in Gaza. The Israeli military released an estimate today that more than 5,000 Hamas fighters are among the dead. But but Hamas isn't telling that to reporters. What Hamas is telling the reporters is that many, many civilians are being killed, which, which is true, by the way. Many civilians are being killed, and it's tragic, although the numbers being given to journalists by Hamas are unverifiable. We have no idea if they're if they're true or not. But when you operate in Gaza, you have no choice but to play along with the coverage script that Hamas is imposing. You know, another good example: thousands of rockets are fired from residential areas in Gaza. You're not likely to see footage of it. You'll see footage of the Israeli airstrike that happens a minute after the rocket launch, and you'll see rubble, and you might see civilian casualties, but you won't see the rocket launch that triggered the strike because you're not allowed to film it. You're not going to see a lot of footage of Hamas fighters doing what fighters do, which is 
fight. You're not going to see it. And there's a reason for that. It's the reason is that people know what they are allowed and not allowed to film. And all of this adds up to an impression that that uh, that the, all of the harm being wreaked in Gaza is happening to civilians, happening to innocent civilians. And that is done in a very cynical way by Hamas in order to inflame world opinion against Israel and get the world to blunt Israel's response and to tie Israel's hands. And this has been used by Hamas, by the way, successfully about a half dozen times in the 16 years they've been running Gaza. They trigger an Israeli response. They put their own civilians out in front, uh, causing civilian casualties. They get the international press to film those casualties. That inflames world opinion and the world tells Israel, okay, that's enough. And Hamas lives to fight another day, which is how we got to October 7th. So Israel, in terms of Israeli society, is determined to finish it this time. If we don't finish Hamas right now, this is going to happen in a year. It's going to happen in two years. It's going to happen in five years. And it's going to happen in 10 years. And we have to destroy, can't allow this threat to exist on our on our border. And the Hamas script where we, you know, where they use civilians in a very cynical way that I think really many Western people just find it hard to believe that this is actually happening, but it is, where they use civilians in a cynical way in order to blunt the Israeli response, in order to get the kind of PR that they want. We can't play this game anymore. And it, it's awful. I mean, it's just awful to see. And they're my neighbors. This is, you know, Gaza is about an hour and a half from where I'm sitting. I don't wish anyone there harm. I just wish they could have good lives and <laughs> we could all live alongside each other in peace. In order for that to happen, Hamas has to be removed as a threat on our border. And unfortunately, that is going to look extremely ugly and it's going to be tragic. And I hope all I can hope is that in a few months we'll all be in a better place. Mati Friedman, we really do appreciate your perspective. In fact, we we would probably like to check in with you again sometime soon, if that's OK. It would be a pleasure. Mati Friedman, journalist and author, with us on KMOX. And if you missed any part of that interview, would highly recommend going to KMOX.com or the Odyssey app or wherever you get your apps and wherever you get your podcasts and go back and listen to it later. It's Chris and Amy on KMOX. No way! You gotta be kidding me. Don't feel bad. There's no way you could have known that. Now, did you see this with Chris and Amy on the show? Did you see, Amy, that tonight... Uh, and this was announced back in April for the first time. But tonight, beginning on CNN, is a new show called King Charles. Starting at 9 o'clock tonight, Central okay. Time. King Charles, it is Gail King and Charles Barkley. So B- Barkley's got a new show on CNN. I guess they're going to talk about whatever. I'm, okay, inter- I mean- I, I, I'm interested. I mean... I like Charles Barkley mm-hmm. a lot, and he he this has a on, lot of good takes on a lot of things. Yeah. Some of it sports, some of it non-sports. I'm interested. I don't know how long I'll stick with it, but I'll give it a chance. I think they should have done King plus Charles. King Charles is going to be misleading. No well, one's going to fr- happen upon first, that and click on it. The first promo I heard for King Charles, I yeah. thought it was about King Charles. If you see but it I think on, that's why they're doing it. Yeah, but if you see it on DirecTV, it says King Charles. I'm not clicking on it. Well, I'll know now. King plus Charles. That's a winner. Hey, it's Chris and Amy on KMOX Hour 2 coming up. 
Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need to change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.